This is the Advisor Odyssey audio experience, where financial advisors, planners, insurance agents, and brokers will find fresh new ideas and perspectives around what it takes to launch, succeed, scale, and bulletproof their business. Over the last few years, I've had just tons and tons of conversations with financial advisors and CPAs, brokers, insurance agents, the whole lot about how they market their firm. And what I found is that about nine times out of 10, when we discuss their client acquisition, like that actual marketing piece of it, there's typically something missing in the plan. Sometimes they don't even think about adding it to the plan. Like it's when we talk, it's like this whole revolutionary idea. Or sometimes it's on the back burner, which does happen a lot, right? A lot of people, they know how they should market. It's just a matter of time and energy and money. But uh, the reality is a lot of the time, they're just, they have something missing and they had no idea. So that's going to be the topic for today is how to overcome an off balance or imbalanced marketing plan. Now for perspective, I had probably about 200 to 250 conversations with financial advisors, CPAs, insurance agents, and brokers in 2021, all centered around marketing and new client acquisition. And I would guarantee that at least 80% of them, they were struggling with their marketing, not because they didn't know how to do it or anything. It was really just because they were missing one simple funnel from their entire strategy. And to break this down a little easier, there's really only four components of your marketing And as long as you have one funnel going in each of them, you're going to succeed. So the way I see it, the four components of a strong financial marketing plan, you're going to have first and foremost, your active lead generation. This is your direct to consumer marketing. This is your dinner seminars, live webinars, your financial workshops, your radio shows, your TV shows, etc. Your second is going to be your passive lead generation. Now, your passive lead generation is your indirect consumer marketing. Think of like your your PR, your branding. Uh, It's going to be your social media. Maybe you've got some lead funnels on your website. The third component is going to be your active client marketing. And this is what a lot of financial advisors do right now, or at least they're trying to do post-COVID. That's the trend that I've been seeing. And your fourth is going to be your passive client marketing, which as we get into it more in depth, You're already doing it, I can almost guarantee. You just didn't have it labeled. Now, let's take a second to actually look at these. And if I were you, I would, if at all possible, pause this audio, this podcast right now for about 15, 20 seconds and just think to yourself. Like literally pause it and think in your head, how many true marketing funnels do I have right now? And then as we progress through this, be thinking where those would fit in this criteria. And if you've got something out of place, well, now you know the framework that you can follow that I would say is pretty simple to just turn on, like turnkey style, and roll with it. So digging in deeper here, the first of the four components of a strong financial marketing plan is going to be your active lead generation. Again, this is your direct-to-consumer marketing. Now, a couple examples of these would be dinner seminars, educational workshops, radio shows, TV shows, maybe you're doing a live webinar, and I specify live webinar, right? These are what most 
people, most advisors, they will be thinking to themselves as marketing. Like this is true marketing. Taking that prospect from the very beginning, like before they even know your name or know about your firm, taking them all through your funnels to become a client. But it's gonna start with the lead gen. Now, this is gonna be the areas of your marketing plan that are gonna cost the most money, right? When we look at, for example, a seminar, if there's food involved, you're looking at anywhere between 4,000 to even 10,000, depending on the kind of food you offer and the venue you got, and obviously how many people can fit. Uh, it's expensive, right? It can add up uh, 100%. You know, I do happen to work with uh, quite a few financial advisors who they, uh, I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say that they will run six to 10 seminars per month. And quite frankly, some of them, they have aspirations to run 20 or 30 as they continue to build out their agency. So the point is though, when it comes to the active lead generation marketing, you typically have to spend money to make money. So that's why tracking your analytics is gonna be so critical to this. That's for a later episode, but active lead generation is the primary component of a strong financial marketing plan. And it's going to be the hardest pill to swallow, but it will pay the most dividends. The second component to a strong financial marketing plan is going to be the passive lead generation. Now, this is going to be different from the active lead generation because it's not going to be direct. That passive lead generation is going to be your indirect consumer marketing. Now, my examples are your basic PR. Maybe you've been featured in a like a magazine or maybe you've been on the news at a time or two. Maybe you've been featured on a podcast. Uh, this would not necessarily be your own podcast, but it would just be featured. Uh, if you do have your own podcast, then that'll also fit in here. It's going to be kind of a hybrid of two different categories with that active lead generation side, but it's going to fit in here. Uh, a lot of you will also uh, hopefully by now have websites. Your websites, if you have any sort of a lead funnel, like maybe it's, you know, the client clicks on that little pop-up box, uh, or excuse me, I said client, I meant to say prospect. If that prospect clicks on that pop-up box, they give you their name, their email, their phone number, and they get something in return, that's going to be your indirect lead generation, your passive lead generation. So there's a lot of things that can fit in this criteria where I've seen a lot of advisors struggle though, is they mistake passive lead generation for active lead generation. The reason I say this Yes, you can track your passive lead generation. You can really dig into the, the analytics of this. If you, like if you built your entire website and you host all of it, then you should be able to see it on the back end. If you worked with another company, uh, whether it's a vendor in the space or maybe you've got a partner in the business who helps you with it, um, you're gonna have a lot of that at your disposal. You just probably have to ask for it. But you can't really track all of it. And that's the difference. If you host a dinner seminar, for example, in the active lead generation side, you'll send out, call it 10,000 different mail pieces, and you'll know that if you get 70 people to RSVP to your upcoming event, well, that's your concrete number. You know they are only RSVPing to your event because they got the mailer, right? Or at least that's how we have to perceive it here. Whereas on the passive lead generation side, you might not know where they came from. Perhaps one of those people that did not register for your seminar got your mail piece and they decided to hop on the internet and check you out, which is what they will always do, by the way. Um, you have to have a website for people to even know you exist nowadays, but they're going to check you out and maybe they saw something that caught their eye. 
you know, inflation's a hot topic right now. Maybe you're offering some sort of uh, advice or some sort of, call it a, like a one-pager or, a, you know, an FAQ sheet all around inflation. And maybe it piqued their interest. They put in their name, their email, their phone number, they downloaded it, and now they've got your content. I hope it's branded to you, but regardless, now they got your content. But you won't know where they came from. That's why we got to call it passive. A lot of advisors will say things like, you know, Daniel, I just really want to double down on my marketing. So I'm going to redo my website. I'm going to get in magazines and I'm going to hop on like TV commercials. And the reality is you can't track it. So you won't actually know if it's working. The easiest example of this, some of you might have a billboard, right? Maybe you've got your name, your business, your face, whatever it is on a billboard. You know, I see them as I drive in my commute. That's not really trackable. Right? Unless you deliberately ask every person that comes in to meet with you, did you hear about us from our billboard? You're not going to know, but it's brand awareness. That's ultimately what your passive lead generation should be. Brand awareness and micro call to actions. The third component of a strong financial marketing plan is going to be your active client marketing. Now, for a lot of you, this is probably going to be the most comfortable thing to do. So we're going to dig in pretty uh, in pretty good detail on this. But your active client marketing is your direct attempt to sell more to your current clients and to prompt referrals. Now, some of you, you know, throw this disclaimer out for a second. Maybe you just do one thing and you do one thing only. Right? Let, let's say, for example, you work strictly with Medicare. That's your one thing. That's it. Maybe you don't have anywhere else to go. That's fine. For those of you who do have more than one line of business, you know, you're either fully holistic, maybe you, your firm can do all these different things. This is going to be where you need to first do an audit on your book of business. But second, figure out where can we take our current clients from here to further add to their experience to help their retirement plans or their uh, investment plan if it's a younger generation. But also, how can you produce more revenue for your firm as the business owner. So this active client marketing, this is gonna be like your client appreciation events. It's gonna be your referral events. Now notice I said those separately, they're two totally different things. Your appreciation events are one thing and your referral events are another. It could be your ambassador program, if you've got a referral or an ambassador program. Uh, or for some of you, maybe it's just a product awareness campaign, right? I mean. A hot topic right now is, uh, well, right now as a whole, CD rates are really low. You'll have a lot of people who bank, or I'm sorry, excuse me, who invest with their banks. They'll take out, you know, three, five, seven year CDs, whatever it is. They're incredibly low rates. There's a lot of advisors who have success by marketing to fixed annuities as a CD alternative. Like that's, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? You've got, you know, 1.2%, you know, I'm making that up, but I know it's what it was a little bit ago. 1.2% for three years or 2.2% for three years. It's easy math, right? But anyways, your active client marketing is going to be your direct attempt to sell more to your current clients to prompt uh, more business, but also to generate more referrals. So the fourth component to a strong financial marketing plan is going to be your passive client marketing. Now, this is going to be your indirect attempt to sell more to your current clients. Now, I repeat, 
Your passive client marketing is going to be your indirect attempt to sell more to your current clients and hopefully prompt referrals. Now, this is going to be uh, more of that day-to-day -day operational minutia, things like your monthly or quarterly newsletter. It's going to be your, uh, your client surveys you send out, your birthday cards, your holiday cards, stuff like that. This is going to be really passive, but think about it from the perspective of a client of yours. They get a birthday card in the mail from you. Hopefully, it's, there's at least some component that you've either signed by hand or maybe you wrote the whole card, whatever it is. They get something in the mail from you, which, side note, if you're just doing emails on birthday cards, I would highly recommend you fix that right now and go to actually mailing them out. It's going to mean a ton, like a lot, lot more to your clientele. But when they get that letter in the mail, they're not going to sit there and go, wow, you know, John Smith Advisor is so great. Oh my gosh, I'm going to refer him more people. They're not going to do that. But what it's going to do is put you in a position where if they are perhaps having people over for their birthday, or maybe it's the holidays, Thanksgiving time, whatever it is, they get that letter in the mail from you and they leave it on the counter. Let's say they open it, they left it on the counter. Next thing you know, Sally Sue is looking at the counter about to grab the sweet potato casserole and there's your Thanksgiving card, right? Maybe they're grabbing another piece of cake. There's your birthday card. Right? It's, it's passive client marketing because at the end of the day, you're just trying to get more eyes on your firm and you don't want to come off as push. You don't want to come off as salesy. You're not really trying to spend money to market. It's more of a, this is nice to have. So again, those are the four components of a strong financial marketing plan. To recap, your active lead generation is the most important. It, it is. Then you have your passive lead generation. This is what a lot of advisors mistake as active lead generation. Or they clump it together, and that's just not how it should be done. You've also then got your active client marketing and your passive client marketing. Now, if you have all four of these components running, I promise you, you will have not only a really strong marketing plan in place, but as you lock down each of these four separate areas, and I, I need to stress that, make sure that you have one thing in each of these four areas and make sure it's working well. Track it, analyze it, if again, if possible. And if it costs money, keep spending the money, keep getting the at-bats because when you've got one thing in each of these four quadrants, then you can add another. What you do not want to do is have, let's call it, in your active lead generation, you've got three things going. Maybe you're doing dinner seminars, you've got your TV show going, and you're on the radio. That's great, but if you're neglecting the other three or if you're off balance, you're still not going to have as much success had you have actually experienced if you did a more balanced approach. You know, two here, two here, two here, two here, for example. So four components of a strong financial marketing plan. All right, so moving into our from the left field segment, uh, Ryan, what are our three questions and uh, our comments for today? From left field, where we take a swing at answering your specific questions and share our insights into the more common challenges that financial advisors, planners, insurance agents, and brokers typically face in their business. First question for today. 
Ever since COVID, I've been hearing a lot about advisors doing webinars. As an advisor who has never done webinars before, what is the best strategy to get involved in them? So that's actually a really good question. Um, webinars really, for the most part, became prevalent uh, during uh, COVID era. Of, uh, quite frankly, I think a lot of it was advisors had, uh, you know, we just talked about the active lead gen. They had, you know, dinner seminars. They had in-person workshops. They That was really their lifeblood. But when that got stripped away, they were left with, you know, an imbalance here. But they were left with having to scramble and figure something out. And what a lot of the marketing companies did, and, you know, you can't blame them for this. And for some people, this worked really well. But for most, it didn't work. A lot of them struggled out the gate. Because, again, it's kind of pioneering a whole new era. They basically try to take their, uh, you know, educational workshop component call it their one hour workshop or their seminar and they tried to just do it over webinar they probably did it live they uh, maybe they did it over zoom you know for for some of you you're going to have a much greater compliance that doesn't allow zoom so you have your own platform um, there's also some really great marketing companies that have specific webinar platforms that are amazing but uh, they probably pivoted their workshop and seminar to a live webinar and they didn't have results but they spent pretty much the same amount of money, maybe not on the food, but they spent the same amount of money to send out the mailers. They probably, if they were uh, thinking about this from like a, a scalability standpoint, they probably had some added digital marketing campaigns, but uh, that all costs money, right? Unless you've got someone internally you're already paying who can do that and has the expertise, that costs money. So here's my thoughts on that. If you really wanna jump into it and be successful, in my opinion, I would recommend uh, two really critical things. One, go fully automated. Do not do live webinars. Find an opportunity to sit down, record your webinar. And uh, the second component to this, focus on a specific niche or niche, however you want to say it. Focus on that. Now, for some of you, maybe you built your entire business on you know, working with a specific demographic or specific uh, cultural relevance or occupation. You know, for example, maybe all you work with is doctors. Like that's your primary clientele, maybe nurses too. Um, that's going to be a great situation where you can dig in deep to an automated webinar. Uh, some of you might be with government employees. Uh, maybe it's teachers or educators. Like you've got an, like a specific type of clientele, whether you know it or not. If you don't know it, I'd encourage you Go back through some of your fact finders of your top clients and some of your favorite clients. Uh, not necessarily from a monetary standpoint, but just do enjoy working with them. And that section in your fact finder, which I hope is in there, where you ask them, you know, what do you like to do in your spare time? How do you have fun? Like, tell me about your family. Start to look for commonalities and that'll tell you your preferred uh, focus or your preferred niche. But if you dig into those and you make them automated, again, don't do multiple things, be kind of like a one trick pony here. You can actually scale it up and you can run the digital marketing, right? We want to uh, send people to your webinar. The mindset is you want to get them, uh, you're going to give them something, make them download something, or uh, maybe it's just going to be PR driven, like on Facebook, like your name, your face, etc. But you want to drive them to your registration page, which should be a landing page, and they're going to put in their own information. I recommend doing automated because when you do it automated, obviously you don't have to physically be doing it. I know of a lot of uh, financial advisors and CPAs, et cetera, who they've done these recorded webinars and 
you can have people sign up to attend the webinar at like eight o'clock at night, right? I mean, I assume that you're not going to be wanting to do that, but some advisors, they, <laughs> they love just having it on autopilot. But then again, when you look at the, the tracking and the analytics, you can go back and just look to see where do people fall off in your funnel? You know, uh, was there a specific lead magnet that got more traction than the rest? We can get into that conversation, but your, uh, uh, excuse me, your pre-recorded automated webinars should serve as a lead funnel more than anything. It's going to be more on the digital side. You're going to want to keep your webinars really short. And as I said, really specific. And when I say short, I literally mean like 15 minutes, 20 absolute max. Keep it short, direct to the point. You're going to be competing with people's attention, right? When's the last time you had an opportunity to sit down and watch a full movie in your own home? When you got kids, when you got grandkids, when you got dogs, like you're going to probably get pulled in a couple directions. So keep them short and sweet. Um, offer a lot of call to actions throughout the entire webinar. Uh, the worst thing you can do is wait till the very end to give your call to action. And then half the people have already logged off because they got the information they needed. So uh, have it littered with call to actions and make them micro call to actions or what we'd call like small hooks. Um, sometimes something as simple as, you know, hey, we've been talking a lot about uh, social security and how that'll impact your retirement. By the way, if no one's ever had a conversation with you about like when you should take your social security and how to maximize it, go ahead and click this link here and we'll set up some time to talk, right? That's a micro hook that you want to have throughout your entire webinar, just around different topics. Cast a wide net and make it really short. So um, again, to wrap up, the mindset is keep the barrier to setting that second appointment or excuse me, that first appointment, I should say, keep it really, really low so you get more of them. Ryan, what's our second question? I run an independent agency with LOA advisors. I still feel like I'm new to the LOA model though. It seems like lately my sales team takes the leads that I'm supplying to them for granted. Is this normal and part of growing my agency or is this a problem that I've caused or they've caused? That's a, that's a good question. So just for the context provided, it's tough to give like a, a real specific and custom to, you know, the individual answer. But for any advisors or, you know, business owners who might be in a situation similar to this, uh, first and foremost, if you provide them back office support, and that could be anything from like a filing or, you know, tr uh, like a client management, like managing the CRM, if that's things like office supplies, like really generic stuff, if you're providing that, if you're uh, providing any sort of compliance oversight, if you're, you know, with an, with an RIA or broker dealer or whatever, if you're helping them with the case prep, right, whatever sorts of products or plans that you build out, if you're helping with that, if you're providing them technology to help build that too, uh, if you're training them or training your team on how to support them specifically, if you're providing them the branded material, whatever it is, if you're giving them all of that, like that's part of your package to have that advisor or that agent work underneath your firm, then just remember, it can be really easy to forget the struggle that this job and this occupation can be if all you do is have leads and given to you and you have a ton of support that you can utilize whenever you want. That's one of the most attractive things of the, uh, the brokerage uh, and agency model we see with, you know, organizations like Edward Jones, Northwestern Mutual, like they have the structure in place and all you have to do is plug in. Now, a lot of the time you do have to find your own leads in those, uh, like, like in that kind of a structure, but you've got everything else pretty much there. 
So, like, don't be afraid to remind them what all you provide to them, right? And you got to do it delicately. You don't, you know, be abrupt with it. But it's okay to let them know, like, uh, actually, the, the best thing I would tell you is uh, if you don't already, you should do this. But hopefully you're having team meetings. Uh, maybe it's once a week or every other week or hopefully definitely once a month or less. But when you have those meetings, like, just be openly, like, talk about the budgeting side right if again i used this example earlier but if you are doing seminars for example or maybe you're on the radio talk about the cost to the seminar to the radio show right it's really easy for someone to sit back and you know if they all of a sudden have a appointment set on their calendar you know john smith and sandy sue coming in to see them if they don't really know where that came from they didn't have to work to to get the appointment it can be really easy to become lackadaisical and quite frankly, lazy. So it's okay to remind them how much things cost, uh, the work that you're doing, uh, let them know the percentages. And I, when I say percentages, I mean, we sent out you know the mailer to 10,000 people, for example, what the percentage was of people that actually RSVP to your event, who showed up, who didn't, etc. Be open about that. And uh, another side of that is sales goals, which is kind of a touchy term. We don't want to have goals related to specifically sales. It's more so how many families can we help and impact. But make sure that your culture isn't fully centered around how much new business there is. That's where you'll also have a lot of pushback because having actually been in a situation similar to this when I first got in the industry, if, uh, you know, from the, the CEO standpoint or the business owner standpoint, if this is you, if you're motivating and, you know, rah, rah, uh, think of like, you know, old school Wolf of Wall Street with Belfort. If you're motivating your team, your sales team specifically, to just make more sales, eventually they're going to realize that the value they're getting, which hopefully it's good value, but if the value they're getting isn't up to par or what they really need to continue to scale when you're putting the pressure on them to make sales, they're going to start to realize that they can go elsewhere. They're going to start looking around. Now, if you are one of these people, by the way, you're in a really good situation, your ownership group is, is treating you really well, you're getting a ton of this support, and they're, you know, they're proud of you, etc. Like, stick with it. It doesn't happen a ton if you're experiencing it, stick with it, because you're you're in the minority who are enjoying it. But uh, to wrap that up, that's that's what I would do uh, without any specifics. Just be transparent with how much things cost, how things are working, and uh, keep your team constantly engaged in the loop. So Ryan, what's our final question? All right, last question for today, and it's a good one. I've never done any email marketing before. Is it worth it? So the the short answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, this is a really big topic, and uh, quite frankly, I could go on for you know at least a half hour just specifically to why you should be doing email marketing and some good strategies and how to do it successfully. But uh, here's really like three big reasons why you, number one, need to be doing it, but number two, why you actually need to make sure that you're doing it well. So uh, in no particular order, the first reason is your return on investment, that ROI on a successful email campaign is like 101, if not higher. Like it's, if you're doing it right, you're gonna have a ton of results. So, and the money you're spending is gonna be pretty minimal to what you're more than likely bringing in. The second reason is gonna be if, uh, again, assuming your email campaign is more value forward, so we, again, you know, the jab, jab hook here, 
give, give, then ask. Like if you're giving them things, you're, uh, you're essentially providing them, uh, hopefully a solution to any problem they might be having or any concern they might have. Now we're early on. You're not going to always know their true concerns. Um, we can get into that a little bit from the marketing side. If, you know, if the, the, let's call it the white paper they downloaded is specific to like a, we'll call it, you know, social security, then you probably know they're thinking about social security, but as long as you're continually providing value forward and that's your approach, uh, you're going to have a constant reason to stay in front of them like over and over and over again without being pushy because you're not asking, right? You're just giving. And what'll happen over time is as you build up your email list, which again, if you've got 500 people on your email list, that's awesome, but do not be discouraged. I know many, many business owners that have literally over 100,000 people on their email list that they're still trying to nurture and do business with because they've just been, you know, sitting in that prospect world for the last like 20 years. So um, not quite 20 years, that's a long time, probably like 10 years. But point is, they're still trying to work them because when people don't buy, and I say buy, when they choose not to work with you, there's a lot of different reasons why it could be. What you want to do and what we want to do from the marketing perspective is make sure that the reason why they're not buying is uh, if it's because it's not the right time, which is very common, if it's not the right time to buy, you just want to make sure that you're in front of them. So when that time comes, they choose you. It's uh, Amazon. And this is how Amazon really scaled their business at tremendous levels. They stayed in front of people because when you added that, you know, flat screen TV to your cart, you didn't touch it, right? You just put it there and you never bought it. And then you left Amazon. All you get is TV ads from Amazon, maybe Best Buy, maybe Walmart, whatever. But the point is Amazon is saying, hey, look, yeah, you didn't buy it now, but we hope that when it is time to buy, you buy from us. So, and then the final, the third reason here is uh, if you're tracking the data from email marketing, like uh, from the prospect standpoint, not your client standpoint, but if you can actually show a track record of how many people you have on your email list, on average, how many per month set an appointment with you, and then from there, like the closing percentage, like how they progress through the sales funnel, that actually becomes an increase in value to your business should you ever decide to sell it. Because assuming the process, the email marketing process stays in place, that's something that you can give away with the business and that someone can take and continue to run with. Again, assuming the business is not branded to your face, they can take and run with and the results should continue. So those are going to be the three main reasons why I'd recommend doing email marketing. But again, that's a huge topic and uh, we'll have to save that. That'll be a good, uh, good podcast for another time. Take care, guys. We hope you enjoyed the Advisor Odyssey audio experience. Connect with us on your favorite social media platforms at Advisor Odyssey. You can find our full-length educational videos to watch on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out all our articles and publications on medium.com forward slash Advisor Odyssey. The Advisor Odyssey podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The contents and opinions shared, expressed, or otherwise alluded to on the Advisor Odyssey podcast and audio experience are solely ideas and not to be depicted as tax, legal, or investment advice. Results from the use of these concepts may not be representative of the experience of all financial professionals and are no guarantee of future success. Your results may vary. The Advisor Odyssey and its affiliated members are not to be held liable or responsible for any lawful recourse or punishment invoked upon the individual or accompanying business partners or team members. 
federal law, state law, and or insurance carrier requirements may prohibit or place limitations on any of the ideas and activities expressed. All advisors, planners, wholesalers, affiliated reps, and investment advisors should be aware of any limitations imposed by federal regulation, state regulation, insurance carriers, broker-dealers, and registered investment advisors as applicable. Investment advisors are strongly encouraged to obtain pre-approval from the broker-dealer, registered investment advisor, insurance company, or similar institution with which they may be affiliated.